This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Hey, Bills Mafia. We know there's only one topic every day. All Bills, all the time. And now Matt Bovey and Sal Capaccio are going really deep. Talking Bills all year long. Because it's always game day in Buffalo. It's always game day in Buffalo. Sal Capaccio, Matt Bovey. Diving right into it, Matt. Um, I got to ask you, are, are you feeling okay? You're a little north of where I am. I'm in the Amherst Studios, the WGR Odyssey Studios in Amherst. And you are located up in Grand Island. Yep. And the air quality is just awful as we sit here on June 7th, Wednesday morning to record this. So I just want to ask how you're doing up there. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Thanks for asking. I walked outside to water the grass, water the flowers, and it smelled like a bonfire, which I actually love the smell of, but I know that yeah. we're dealing with something pretty serious here. So I hope everybody is staying safe and it's not bothering anybody too, too much. We were actually trying to figure out, like, can we walk the baby in this? Right. Because you know what I mean? It's like, eh, she's a little one. Like, she doesn't have fully developed anything yet. So yesterday, so on Tuesday, we did. Today, we will not, because I feel like today it has gotten significantly worse than it was yesterday. So I'm talking about when I say today, I mean Wednesday. And uh, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully this gets uh, better sooner rather than later. It's very hazy, smoky, yeah. orange sun when you wake up in the morning. It's supposed to be blue skies on Wednesday, but it's not. You can't even see any blue because of it. I have my stepbrother lives in Nova Scotia and him and his wife she has been posting pictures of the fires up there and the evacuations going on. And it's just devastating. It's awful to see all of that happening. And then watching the Yankees game on Tuesday night, and it was just cloud. Like it looked like, you know, when you watch a game and they just had fireworks, like Mm. that's what it looked like at the Yankees game. And yeah. And um, people have been talking about New York city, New Jersey, have friends down there posting pictures, how the smell of burning wood, even that far South. So it's a really tough situation. And, you know, obviously, um, you want to make sure that everybody you know, stays safe. Even here in Buffalo, Buffalo Public Schools, canceling all outdoor activities. I'm guessing all schools in Western New York will be doing that on Wednesday, which really, you know, obviously shows you how serious this is. Yeah, for sure. And I was actually debating today, like we're talking about how serious it is. And I know that they canceled a bunch of like outdoor activities. Like when is the, what is the threshold of things that you can do outside comfortably where you're not feeling like you're putting yourself at risk? Like I had a couple of friends who asked me, Hey, you want to golf on Wednesday afternoon? Is it a bad idea to go outside and golf in this? It's a good question. Here's the deal. So I'm in a golf league that Jeremy White set up that we talk about on the radio sometimes called the birdie league. Uh-huh. And a lot of the WGR people, some other people, um, and we play Wednesdays and normally we play Wednesday evenings, but if you can't get out Wednesday evening, you can go by yourself or with somebody on Wednesday afternoon or whatever. And you can, you know, card your score and put it in. Mm-hmm. So I have, I have the hall of fame induction actually coming tonight for Cleveland Hill. So I can't play on Wednesday night. So I said, all right, I'll play on Wednesday afternoon. I'm not going out. It's just, I'm not going to go out there for two hours and walk around Delaware park. And I know that it seems a little, you know, odd to say that because of 
the situation, but it's just I, with a night like tonight coming up and the induction, I'm just not going to go out there for two hours and be in that, mm-hmm. you know, in that air quality. So I, I think it's very reasonable for anyone to say, I just can't do something like that. Yeah. Well, congratulations, by the way, on the hall of fame induction that's happening Thank later. You. That'll be very, very exciting. Yeah. I mean, you just got to be smart. If you're going to go outside, like don't overexert yourself. Maybe today is an excuse to not go on the run that you were thinking about taking or not take the long bike ride you were thinking about taking. Uh, yeah. It's kind of creepy. It's weird. I- I've never and- experienced anything like this. I know this is pretty like par for the course in California and in yeah. other parts of the country, but here, this is not something we deal with. And I would also let's dive it into football. Jeremy asked me when I went on on Wednesday morning in our, our normal AM segment that I'm on with him, he said, you know, what about the Bills? The Bills aren't scheduled to be on the field on Wednesday. They're scheduled to be back on the field on Thursday. And you wonder if they would even do that. Are they going to go back on the field? They could go inside the field house, but their OTA schedule, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, this week. Thursday will be the final OTA of the, not only week, but of the offseason. After that, mm-hmm. it's mandatory minicamp. But honestly, Matt, if this air lingers, I wouldn't be surprised that the Bills don't do anything on the field on Thursday. Yeah, that doesn't shock me either. I mean, they have access to the field house. I know they've got a ton of bodies, so it would make the field house a little bit tougher to use than it is during the regular season when you just have right. your normal practice crew. So I would think they will always be in the position of being overcautious with something like this, especially because minicamp actually starts next week. Like, you're not yep. going to bend over backwards and put anybody at risk or do anything silly just to have that one extra practice when you know you're going to have mandatory minicamp stuff the following week. So uh, it's a good point, but they also have so many resources and so much availability that you could have half of the guys do the weight room, half of the guys be on the field and then like flip flop. And then you could go to your spin studio and then you could go to your sauna and your steam room and your pool and your hot tub and all the things that they have. Not at the facility. Sounds like sounds like Casa Bove up in Grand Island. I mean, yeah, that's, that's yeah, that's what it is. I actually have an indoor <laughs> pool, sauna, basketball court, golf course. Uh, yeah, all of that right in my basement right here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we want to thank everybody, as always, for coming aboard here. Always new listeners. And as the season gets closer, the offseason goes on and the bills are making roster moves. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, we're getting new listeners every day, whether that's via audio or video. Thank you so much. iTunes, Spotify. WGR Odyssey app, wherever you listen, wherever you pod, we thank you so much. Throw us a nice like, review, uh, five-star rating. We'd appreciate that. And also on video, um, Sal Sports on YouTube. The numbers are really popping over there as well. A lot of people like watching the video version of this show. Uh, Matt's right there. You see him. You see me. We're trying to get you as much content in many ways as possible to watch this. Throw it up on your big screen TV. Just hook your computer in there and you can watch that. You can listen to it You know, while you're jogging or something like that, like you're at the gym. You can do it right in your own home if you have a, a treadmill or something like that. In the meantime, right before we went out. Like yeah, right that's before. I'm I'm looking at my phone. If you're watching the video version, you'll notice yeah. I'm not really paying attention to the screen. I'm just trying to figure out this is a interesting sign-in for the Bills. This is not something that I had on my bingo board. No, and, and just like Leonard Floyd, which we'll get to, that was going to be the lead. Now the new lead is Cam Dantzler. Cam Dantzler, a former third-round pick of the mm-hmm. Minnesota Vikings back in 2020, just three years ago, didn't work out in Minnesota, and I think he had gone on to Washington. He had already been out of Minnesota for, for a little while, at least the offseason here. Uh, the Bills have added him. Now, look, you could say third-round pick. Now he's been on two teams. There's obviously a reason. Totally fair and justified, and I get that. But it is an interesting name to bring into the fold, a young corner to add some depth to the secondary map. Yeah, I mean, he started 
a lot of games. I'm yeah. looking it up right now. So he has started 24 games. So if nothing else for the Bills, if you think this is somebody who can latch on to your team and who can make your roster as a backup guy, then I think he's probably worth the risk, obviously given the fact that he's 24 years old and this is going to be his third team, probably says something about, yeah, he's not going to immediately come in here and be a starting caliber player. But if you have an injury behind any of the guys that you have there, maybe you like him. I mean, maybe this gives them a little bit more flexibility with the position. Maybe this gives them the flexibility of seeing Christian Benford more at safety, even though they've said kind of up to this point that the plan is for him to be a cornerback. I believe Dane Jackson. Do you remember what his contract is off the top of your head? Was it only a one-year extension? Uh, Dane Jackson? Yeah, Uh, I believe that is the case. I'll look it up real quick as you talk, but I believe that's the case. So let's look at the guys that are going to be in front of Dantzler, at least when he steps in the door. Tredavious White, that's obvious. Kyir Elam, even though I feel like the expectations are a little bit tempered for Elam, he was a first-round pick last year. Like, if he doesn't win the job as the starting corner opposite Tredavious White, it will be a disappointment for him and for the team because they used a big resource on him. Then you get to that next wave of guys, which is Dane Jackson, and then it's Christian Benford. Now, when we have this conversation, we never include Taron Johnson because even though he's a cornerback, we're not talking about, like, guys who play nickel. We're talking about guys on the boundary, so I'm not passing him off or anything like that. But then you get to Cameron Dantzler. I mean – guy who started 24 games as, or something like that as somebody who's 24 years old, you would like to think that there's some positive upside here. I just think about a position where they got really bare bones last year, and it makes sense that they would try and address it now because they don't want to get to the point where they did last year where you're bringing in guys who are at the end of their career who were really, really good five years ago like they did with Xavier Rhodes. Like This is somebody whose best football might still be ahead of them, and you get the opportunity to go, to go sign him. And listen, we know from Brandon Bean on Tuesday, this is probably not a very expensive move. It's just not. It's probably like, hey, you've got some options. Come play for the best team and see if you can revitalize your career. And if that's what this ultimately is, kudos to the Bills for making it happen. So you said something interesting in all that. You said the expectations for Kyrie Elam are a little bit tempered. And I don't know if you – Wanted to say it like that because I want to say I think the expectations are a lot higher than what he's shown. I don't think they're tempered expectations. I think the expectations are there. He just has not performed to those expectations so far. I think this team expects him to be and wants him to be. Like, why wouldn't you? Wouldn't those expectations be super high? And just he hasn't lived up to it yet. And even Brandon Bean talking about him uh, when we met with him and he met with the media, I should say, on Tuesday, talking about, you know, make sure making sure you're know, doing the right things that practice and understanding what they want from him and however he phrased it you know we can we can gain here just by watching practices and listening to Brandon Bean he's in a fight mm-hmm. for a starting job and if he walks out there if this team goes out on Monday Night Football week one against the New York Jets and Kyrie Elam isn't standing across from Tredavious White as the number two corner and starting mm-hmm. I think it's a disappointment Oh, I agree with that for sure. I I, I guess the way you phrase it is interesting because I tend to agree with you. Like, absolutely, it would be a disappointment if he's not the starter because he was a first-round pick. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like there isn't as much noise and pressure around him as there usually is with a first-round pick. I don't know why. That's just kind of my sense on it. Like, we're talking a lot about Dalton Kincaid and, like, how does he immediately Mm -hmm. fit into the offense? Last year, those conversations were not happening with Elam. It was like, well, he should probably play, but if he doesn't, whatever. And then they roll out the whole, like, him and Benford rotation thing at the beginning of the year. And then Dane Jackson starts to get more involved. And then Trey comes back, and it's just kind of this whole mishmash of everything that's going on I just have never felt like 
Kyrie Elam is the guy that everybody is talking about. Like nobody is saying Kyrie Elam has to win the starting job or else it is a massive, massive void for the Bills. And I just don't feel that way. I think that- No, no, I don't I don't think that's the case. What I think is it's a massive miss on him if he Yeah. Doesn't. Oh, for sure. I mean, at this point, you're a first round pick. You probably should have played more last year. I think some of that is on him. But yep. also some of that is on the coaching staff. I think they are way too slow with kind of pulling the trigger on these moves with first round picks and with young players. But now, I mean, you're a second round pick like th- that cannot be an excuse anymore. The same can be said for James Cook. Now, obviously, James Cook is going to be in a bit of a rotation with the other guys that they have there. But like there can't be any training wheels on James Cook at this point. You should know after this year if James Cook can be an RB1 or if he's going to be an RB1B. You know, what's funny to me about just still here on Kyrie Elam. When he did play, Matt, I never good. thought he hurt the Bills. No. He was good. Yeah, we, we didn't we always talk about how well he played and how good he looked? Even though the Bills say, hey, you know, he he had to get to a certain level and, you know, um, he had to kind of, they, they had to kind of put him in there when he was ready, wasn't ready, wasn't doing this or that. He had a game-changing interception against the Miami Dolphins in the playoffs. He had an interception early on against the Kansas City Chiefs when he took the ball away from somebody in the end zone the first time that he played, basically. But I think he actually looked good in games when he played. I agree. I never thought that he hurt them. I thought he got, excuse me, gave them a little bit of juice. I yep. thought he had some nice size to counter Tredavious White, who is an undersized player for his, well, not undersized, but he's not a big body by any stretch. So I've liked Kyrie Lum in the limited reps that we've seen him play, but there must be something there that we aren't noticing or that the coaching staff is noticing that has kept him off of the field. I don't think this Cameron Dantzler thing has anything to do with Kyrie Lum. I think it has something to do with more of Cameron Dantzler being like a, ooh, like, let's take a shot on this guy who's young, who's got starting experience, and he could probably make our team. But he's a name. Like, that's the thing that's weird is we're sitting here and we're about to record and we see all the tweets pop up from Bill's PR. Like, Cameron Dantzler's a name. I don't know why Cameron Dantzler's a name, though. I don't exactly know why am I so familiar with the name and the player, even though he hasn't had a ton of success. Probably you go back to that draft year. You know, he was one of the, you know, top corners listed in the draft. You yeah, know, he's only 24, so it's right. not like and, he's and been he's, around that long. Third round pick for a team that's had success the last few years, you know, the Minnesota Vikings. So I think that's probably why. And he's got a cool name, right? Cameron Dantzler. Right? Mm-hmm. I think it's a cool name. So it kind of stands out to you. By the way, just to clean this up, uh, the player they released to make room is Kyler McMichael. That's the player they released to make room uh, for Cameron Dantzler, who gets added onto the Bills roster all right um we were out there on tuesday for an ota the last ota that media can watch again mandatory minicamp will be out there again and it was a debut for two different people but in two different ways for the buffalo bills hey it's sal capaccio from it's always game day in buffalo it's not just a podcast it's the 25th hour of your day your weekly source for all things buffalo bills right on time your time in the car, navigate the streets with NFL wisdom in your ear. We accompany every errand you need to run. Washing the windows or vacuuming the carpets? Don't just clean, conquer. Podcasts make you more productive because we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow It's Always Game Day in Buffalo in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Baseball isn't boring. 
Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseballs and boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball has been boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Matt, Tuesday was our first chance to see Leonard Floyd in a Buffalo Bills uniform and helmet. He was out there on the field. It was also our first chance to see Damar Hamlin actually take team reps and be a full participant. So um, wherever you want to start, whatever one you think is uh, worthy to talk about here first, we'll go that way. Well, I think Hamlin is worthy to talk about just because of everything that happened. I think that Floyd is the bigger impact player, obviously, for the Bills moving forward. But let's quickly start with Hamlin. Really cool to see him back out on the field with his helmet on. I think that is still very much a national story. Before we were doing this, I was watching ESPN, and they were talking about DeMar Hamlin back on the field to see what he has gone through and to see where he was at the beginning of 2023 up until now, six months later, just an incredible amount of progress. So, yeah, I think that's just really, really promising to see him actually working with the team now with the helmet on, being a full participant in drills. Like, I'm to the point now where when we get to training camp in a month and a half, I think he's going to be a full go. He's going to be doing everything that all of his other teammates are doing. That's just my read on it. Yeah, and let me just kind of go through the um, mechanics of the operation of how this works with the roster, because there's been a lot of questions about DeMar Hamlin and if he will be on the 53 man roster, the active roster when training camp opens, Raina Bean touched on this a little bit on Tuesday to give a little clarity. So as someone, me who I, for some reason, I'm a CBA nerd and I read through a lot of this stuff to kind of figure out, you know, what's going on a lot of times with uh, different, you know, roster, um, uh, designations and things like that. Here's how it's going to work, Matt. Basically, Tamar Hamlin is not eligible for PUP. PUP is for guys who have been injured, who have yes. been doing nothing and can't participate in workouts, off-season practices, things like that. And when you get to training camp, they're still in that boat. So a guy like Von Miller, we know he's been hurt. He hasn't done anything. Guy like Tredavious White last year. So as soon as they go to practice, you put him on PUP. They cannot practice on PUP. The minute they step on the field, you have to take them off the PUP list. But he can't be on PUP, basically, Demar Hamlin, because he's been participating. He's been cleared by doctors. So we know that. So he has to – so that that's not an option for him. The only other option, if he's not in the 53, if he's not in the active roster, I should say, is NFI. That's non-football injury. Okay, you could say non-football injury. Now, I understand that he had his heart situation on yeah. the actual field, but it would be a non-football injury. However – we know that's not going to happen. Why? Because he's been cleared to play football. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have a non-football injury. He, whatever happened to him in Cincinnati has now been cleared enough for him to play football. So he doesn't have a non-football injury. So that's out of the question. He can't be on pup. He can't be on NFI unless something happened to him off the field between now and training camp. He's going to be on the active roster when they go to training camp and taking a roster spot and fighting for a roster spot. Can I ask a question that feels a little bit weird to ask, but I also sure. feel like it needs to be asked? Yes. Is he a lock to make the team? It's a great question. I've been debating this. I've been looking at this. I would say 75, 80% lock at at worst. Maybe even I, better. Here's I, why. Here's I, why. I, kind I, of agree. Yeah. I, I well, well, this is why. I didn't think I would have probably given less chance just looking at the roster and thinking about it not too long ago. But, Matt, look at the safeties on this team. 
you yeah. know the top two are Poirier and Hyde. There's a gap, and then Taylor Rapp is number three. Yeah. Then there's a gap, and Demar Hamlin is number four, and he's a core special teams guy. Matt, who's taking his job? Dean Marlowe? Like, that's well, not happening. No, but I guess that brings you to this whole Cameron Dantzler thing, and if Christian Benford actually stays, or if you want him to move, and you could potentially put him at safety, and then how many people are you actually keeping? I think Demar Hamlin, with everything that he's gone through, like he's he's going to be on the team. I think just optically, it would be really really strange if he didn't make the team. I know that's not what they're basing their decisions off of, but I think he's still a player capable of playing and contributing. I just don't know if it will be the starting caliber that he needed to be at so many times last year because of the injuries that were happening to Hyde and to Poyer just kind of really throughout the course of the season. Now, Jaquan Johnson is somebody that they really liked. He's gone now, but I think any of those snaps, any of those reps where Hyde or Poyer aren't on the field, those are going to go to Taylor Rapp. So I guess he's That's just right. a little bit further down the depth chart, yep. but I still think he makes the team. It just feels kind of dirty. You know what I mean? It feels kind of like no, weird and dirty to I, even ask the question because of everything that happened. I understand. I also say that, you know, isn't there value in having a guy like Tamar Hamlin who players can look at as a team leader and inspiration to be out there with them and, you know, what they went through together? I think the Bills value things like that, right? To know that this is a guy that you know, literally put his life on the line and, you know, and not because of a choice of his. Mm-hmm. But what he went through and to be there and how they were so emotionally attached and all that, I, I just think it would really be beneficial for him to be a part of this team in a lot more ways than just on the field. Um, it's not the sole reason you keep him, but there is value in that because of what he means to his teammates and what he means to the organization. But from my point of him making the team, I just don't see like Dean Marlowe is a nice guy to break glass in case of emergency on the practice squad. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I don't see anybody taking that safety spot. Zane Anderson, like he could play special teams, but DeMar's a core special teams guy. And Matt, they're only going to keep probably four guys anyway. They're not going to keep five safeties. They usually don't do that. So you make up the, the good point, though. The, the right point is, well, are we not counting a guy like Cam Lewis who played safety? Christian Benford who could move to safety? Mm-hmm. Saran Neal can play a little safety. Is there something creative they could say, look, the numbers, the way they shake out, we don't want to get rid of this guy, and he can also play safety, so therefore DeMar is left out. I just don't see that happening right now. That's why I say 75%, 80%, but it's still not completely 100% a lock. Yeah, I think that the safety position is probably one of the easier positions to predict as far as who's going to make the team and who's going to ultimately play meaningful snaps. And that brings us to Leonard Floyd and the addition yep. of him on the defensive line or as an edge rusher or whatever you want to call him. That, to me, now becomes the most complicated position to try and figure out because his addition immediately makes me think about guys like AJ Epinesa and Boogie Basham and whether or not they're going to make this team. I think that conventionally you would go with, well, Boogie Basham's a year younger. So maybe that makes him the more likely player to make it as opposed to AJ Epinesa. You can throw Shaq Lawson into this mix as well, but I think Epinesa has been more consistent than Basham has been over the course of the last couple of years. So I don't necessarily know if I would make the argument for Boogie Basham. And I think Shaq Lawson has actually provided them with a bit more juice than either of those players, even though those guys are younger and Shaq is more of a veteran at this point. So I I don't know how it's going to play out, but there will be good players that do not make this team because it is such a deep roster across the board. So we know this, it's unfortunate, but injuries happen. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, and even Brandon being a Sean McDermott will say, like, a lot of times these things have a way of sorting themselves out, right? Mm, yeah. So that that can't happen. But let's just say everybody stays healthy. And let's just pretend for a second 
that Von Miller is healthy and he's playing, whether that's week one, week two, week three, whatever. They keep him on the 53. Yeah, there's no way they're keeping six defensive ends. They no. could keep five, edge rusher defensive end. They could keep five, not keeping six. So you're talking about one, maybe two spots for Epinesa, Basham, and Lawson. I think it is going to be super interesting how that plays out. Yeah, I do too. And I think that give it, it a lot of it also depends on Vaughn too, because if Vaughn is healthy, then you might give the edge to one of the guys who still has a bit more potential and is still a bit younger in his career. And maybe that way you lean Epinesa or Basham because you're like, these guys won't need to be counted on immediately. If he's not healthy at the beginning of the year or for an extensive period of time, then maybe you lean towards Shaq Lawson because you can say like, okay, we think that we can plug and play this guy, Floyd and Rousseau as a rotation of the three of them and be okay until Von Miller gets back. And then you just hope that you could stow away one of those guys, but I don't think you would be able to, I think those are players you would have to try and trade. And then you ultimately, I mean, they're second round picks. You're definitely not getting second or third round picks back. Maybe at best you get a fourth or a fifth. Who is the guy? Daryl Johnson. Was that his name? Uh, Uh, Damn. Yeah. Yeah, that they traded to the Panthers. I think they got like a sixth round pick for him. Obviously, you know, the Wyatt Teller thing happened. I think they got a fifth round pick for him. So, you know, maybe they get a fourth. Maybe they get a fifth for one of the players that they're ultimately. What did they get for Cody Ford last year? A fifth? Uh, I believe it would have been a fifth. Yeah. Um, trying to remember. Was there something involved? Maybe there was another traffic there. I don't know yeah. what straight traffic it could have been, but yeah. Regardless, like that's kind of the territory that we're leaning with. It's a good problem to have though. I want to yeah. end on that. Like it is a very good problem to have. And I really like the addition of Leonard Floyd. I think that I would have liked the addition of DeAndre Hopkins more if the money is similar, but I still think like Leonard Floyd brings this team a player that they have not had. Well, let me, let me get into that one second. Let me circle back real quick to the defensive end spot. The right point, I think, is what you said about they may just have to determine who are we more likely to have back in the practice squad if we if we release. And that would be Shaq Lawson, right? Because AJ and Bookie are subject to waivers. They haven't been in the league four years. Shaq isn't. They can release Shaq Lawson and then say, we want you back in the practice squad. And he could just basically wait out in the parking lot and do that the next day. Like they can, or, you know, they, that's how this can work. Now, that would also mean Shaq Lawson would have to be willing to do that. Or he could say, no, 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 you want to do that to me? I'm going to go somewhere else. But honestly, like, he had months to sign elsewhere and no one signed him. So I do think that's more likely because of that simple fact that you'd have Shaq on the practice squad. He's still part of the organization because Boogie and AJ, you release one of them, they're getting picked up. They're getting claimed. Somebody's bringing them into their organization for free. And I don't think the Bills want to do that on these guys who are still on their rookie deals. So that's probably how something like that will shake out. But like I said, these things have a way of sorting themselves out a lot. All right, Leonard Floyd, you said it. So let me go back to when we heard on Monday morning that the Bills had signed Leonard Floyd. Were you more surprised (laughs) about that or Ed Oliver's extension when you heard that? I was more surprised about Ed Oliver's extension, Um, but I did not see the Leonard Floyd move move coming. I was with Harper. I was taking Harper out before I was leaving to come to the groundbreaking ceremony in Orchard Park when that had happened. So – I mean, it makes sense. I think when you look at these moves, you kind of look at them, the two of them together. I know that's not exactly what they are, but the Oliver move happens 
so you can keep him long term, but also so you can sign Floyd in the short term. And I think that the Bills really like the idea of adding another player to that rotation because I think that it helps bridge the gap until Von Miller gets back. But I think even more so, it gives you another option of somebody you really trust to get after the quarterback because there was a drop off. Like after Von got injured and then after Rousseau, there was a drop off there. Now you would have at conceivably a healthy Von Miller, a healthy Greg Rousseau, and a healthy Leonard Floyd. Like you really like having those three guys as your primary edge rushers. Do you know the highest number of sacks in a season a player has had and who it is in the Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean era in Buffalo? That's a good question. My guess is Jordan Phillips. Mm -hmm. It would have been in 2019 before he left and I don't think he got to 10 so I'm gonna say nine and a half that's correct on all let's fronts. go wow I legitimately Sorry. I did not know that prior I just hey no it's good I can, I can myself, see the wheel spinning pat myself on the back there <laughs> yeah I could see it like the hamster the wheel the wheel was turning there no you're yeah. right it's nine and a half Jordan Phillips an interior defensive lineman the Bills have not had a double-digit sack guy under McDermott and Bean. Now, that's with the caveat. Von Miller was on his way last year. He would have yeah, he didn't get hurt. And Greg Rousseau only played 13 games last year. He had eight sacks. I think Greg Rousseau winds up with 10 sacks if he has a full season last year. But the point mm -hmm. is that this team has not had that one pass rusher that teams have to focus on and think about other than Von Miller last year during the first half-plus of the season before he got hurt. Leonard Floyd comes over 29 sacks in the last 50 games, 29 sacks over the last three seasons, double digit one year, nine, nine and a half, another couple of years. This is a legitimate threat on the outside, either paired with Von Miller when he's healthy or it buys you time to get Von Miller ready. And mm -hmm. even if Von Miller says, I am ready, I am ready to go. You can take a little off his plate. You can put him on a pitch count. You don't have to rush him out there. That's why I love this deal, Mac, uh, Matt. I think the reason I love bringing a guy like Leonard Floyd in, we're not going to be sitting here at the end of preseason going, man, they really need Von Miller back. Where are they going to get their pass rush from? You can actually say, you know what? Take a little time. They got Leonard Floyd. Greg Rousseau made a jump last year. He's going to make another jump. I think they've really kind of given themselves a real good cushion here to allow themselves to not only wait for Von when he's ready, but also not have to play him so many snaps when he does finally play. In the playoffs, it's third down. You're going against a quarterback and a passing down. Who do you have on the field? Vaughn and Floyd or Vaughn and Rousseau? All three. I'm kicking Greg Rousseau inside. Okay, I like that. I know he played some inside when he was in college. That's a really good point. I mean, could you imagine if it's an obvious passing down, you roll out Rousseau, Floyd, Miller, and Oliver? Like, right. that would be – that's a The old Giants NASCAR package, essentially. Like, that's a pretty serious kind of group to try and contain. I mean, you could only – you really, it would really have to be an obvious passing down. Like you right. couldn't do that. You couldn't do that on third and six or something. They would just hand the ball off and probably get the first down. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And that's another thing too. That's the layers of the, when Boogie Basham was drafted, there was a lot of talk about his position versatility and how he could play inside and how he could play outside. And then it almost feels like he morphed his body to become more of a rusher as opposed to somebody who you could plug inside. And Epinesa was a little bit the same way. I feel like Epinesa really like leaned out from the time that he was drafted to up until now. So 
that's another thing they're going to have to figure out. Is one of these guys worth keeping because of their position versatility, or do you not really care about that because you have made some additions to the defensive line, at least for the short term? And that's not to say, like, and we haven't even mentioned, a couple weeks ago, Puna Ford might have been their biggest addition of the offseason. I mean, uh-huh. you, would pr- you would probably say... <laughs> Yeah, it's kind. Of, I guess let me ask you this before we get to the next thing. Who is their biggest addition of the entire offseason? Is it Connor McGovern? Is well, it Ford? You, you, like, how do you want to define that biggest? Like, what we'll does play that mean? the play the biggest, make the biggest impact on the team, play the most snaps, and you know, play well with the snaps they're given. I think it's Dalton Kincaid. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, but it's I will a- tell you. When you first asked me, let's just say it's non-draft picks. Anybody they brought in from the outside, free agent signings. Uh, I would have said Taylor Rapp until they signed Leonard Floyd. Now I think it's Leonard Floyd, but I think Taylor Rapp is a really key signing for them. I am between if you take draft picks out of it, and I also don't like – you can't count Jordan Poyer because he's coming back. So I I am between Puna Ford and – gosh, I keep forgetting about Leonard Floyd. I know. Okay. I Connor McGovern, Puna Ford, and Leonard Floyd are like in the same bucket for me. You don't put like, Taylor Rapp up there like I do? I don't. I don't. Oh. Because even though I think he's going to play and he's going to be an impact player, I still don't think he's going to get, you know, nearly as many snaps as the other guys. Maybe he gets as many snaps as like Puna Ford because there'll be a pretty heavy rotation there on the defensive yep. line. I, I mean, I'm imagining unless there's an injury, Connor McGovern comes in and plays basically every snap. Probably for them. Right. And I'm also just kind of assuming that's going to be at left guard. Like I think it'll be Dawkins, McGovern, Morse, whoever at right guard, whether it's Bates or Torrance, and then probably Spencer Brown. They also, I mean, this is a, a more secondary addition, but I really liked the Brandon Shell edition. We didn't really yeah. talk about that a lot on the podcast, but I mean, the guy played 11 games for Miami last year. Like if something happens, you trust him. You could really go two levels deep. Like you could go with your starters and then with your immediate backups, the bills, immediate backups on the line look a lot better than they have in a long time. I mean, their, their backups right now would be what Tommy Doyle. Well, I, I, I think that he – if I did a 53 right now, I don't think I'd put him on. Brandon Shell? Yep. Really? Yeah, I think I'd probably have Questenberry and Tommy Doyle ahead of him. Okay, well, those are your tackles, conceivably. Your guards would be – Osiris Torrance. Yeah, and then I'm trying to think, would I have Butker as a guard th- or as a center? Probably a center. Probably, Both. but you have, you have Ryan Bates there. But I, I, I think Nick Broker, Broker may be there. I mean, I, I don't know. He's a draft pick. It's close. I don't know. Who, These are a lot. David Edwards, they signed. He could be a guard. Oh, yeah. I forgot about David Edwards. Yeah, that's a good point. David Edwards would probably be that I next backup. I mean, you know, and, you, how many they going to keep? Nine? You could put eight on game day. They usually keep nine, maybe ten sometimes. That's it. Yeah, I, I always lean towards with the decisions that they have to make now lower, though. Like, if it was between ten and nine, I'm thinking they keep nine because they're going to have difficult yep. decisions to make at other positions. Moral of the story a much deeper group than it has been in years past. All right. Um, let's talk about what Brandon Bean said on Tuesday, as far as cap space and where that leaves the bills going forward, especially with Deandre Hopkins. Hey everyone. This is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in. As I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball has been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. 
Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so Brandon Bean was talking to us on Tuesday. Well, when I say us, I I mean the media. I wasn't actually there. I decided I would do the whole paternity thing, leave after going into work on Monday, even though I probably shouldn't have. Um, Yeah, so I mean, the cap space is interesting, but then they just went out and added the Cameron Dantzler edition. So I would imagine that's for kind of minor money. But basically he said, like, if you're somebody who can play and you'll take a pretty cheap contract, come on down. And I love that. I think that needs to be the approach that they have because you don't know. Like, you want these guys to come to your camp. You want to see what these guys have. And who knows, maybe they surprise you and then they end up being a great value for your team. So the way it works in the offseason, so everyone knows, only the top 51 salary cap hits count on your team. So you you go one through 90, they have 90 guys, only the top 51 count against the same salary cap number that's going to be holding true for all year. What is it, 248, whatever it is, million that you're allowed, only the top 51 count against that. As of right now, Brandon Bede said, they have about $4 million left in available salary cap space. That be, that's because Leonard Floyd's only counting two plus with the void years they gave them. And they really pushed money down the road with that Oliver. So they created some space there, $4 million remaining in salary cap space in the top 51. However, Brandon Bean also said projecting out who's going to make the roster, the guaranteed money that comes along with it, all the different things and no injuries top 53. Once they get there and everybody counts, they're going to be over the cap three to 5 million. They got work to do, Matt. It's not even, bringing guys in it's who's going to go like you have work to do. And that's going to be guys that there's got to be a surprise cut somewhere, a trade, something like that to get you under the cap, which means you don't really have much room to bring in a guy like Deandre Hopkins. If he's going to want something like seven, eight, 10, 12, 15 million a year. Right. I mean, it just doesn't seem like that's possible now. No, I, I, I subscribe to the idea that the salary cap can be manipulated in a lot of different ways. And, you know, our friend over at 13 Wham, Dan Fates, always says, like, the salary cap isn't real. I'm somewhere in the middle between thinking the salary cap isn't real, but there's only so many things that you can do to manipulate it. When they signed Leonard Floyd, part of my surprise was, one, not a player that I thought that they would be in on, and two, in my head, that takes them out of the DeAndre Hopkins sweepstakes. and that's okay. Like I have been pretty adamant. I think they should add DeAndre Hopkins. I don't think they needed to add DeAndre Hopkins. I think he helps you, but I still think you can win a Super Bowl with or without him. And maybe you like Leonard Floyd. Maybe you like the idea of his production and you think he can be more valuable to your team than DeAndre Hopkins could be. We don't know. It's just, it's weird to me. The DeAndre Hopkins thing has been going on for weeks and Mm -hmm. he's still not on a team. He's still not signed. The whole situation is just interesting to me. So if he goes to the Chiefs, Bills fans are going to be sitting here like, oh, crap. Like, now we got to deal with this. But, you know, maybe he ends up just going to a team that isn't that great because they can give him $15 million, and none of the contenders really can. Yeah, and he did say that uh, yesterday was his birthday. He said he would call him on his birthday. Somebody asked him, you going to call him on his birthday? He said, yeah, I'll call him and wish him a happy birthday. It doesn't mean he's offered him a contract. I do think it was interesting on on Pat McAfee. Brandon Bean was on. He didn't rule were, it out. He didn't rule it out, but it was really interesting that he basically said, yeah, he's going to get a decent contract somewhere. I think that's a message to DeAndre Hopkins and his representatives. Like, yeah, that's great. Go ahead and do that if you can, because we can't do that for you. You want to? Co- yeah. Then he says the next day, you want to play for cheap? Come on down. You could do that. So that's where the Bills stand salary cap wise, as far as what Brandon Bean said. All right. Just a couple of um, other items before we head on out of here. Just mentioned birthday. Today, as we record this, June 7th, is Kim Pagula's birthday. It's her 53rd birthday. 
-hmm. It's also, Matt, exactly one year to the day when she suffered her medical event, which her daughter Jesse wrote a lot about. And we know that there's a lot of things that, you know, went on that day, that week. We also know that she's still recovering. Yeah. And Terry talked about her when he was on the podium at the groundbreaking, which we can get into in just a second. But Mm -hmm. just our thoughts with Kim Pagula as she recovers on her birthday here and one year after her medical event. Yeah, the common theme from everybody who spoke at the groundbreaking was that even though she isn't physically here, she's here and her presence can be felt because she was a massive part of the stadium deal that was happening. And, you know, like she was very involved in the business side, like doing what we do. We have a lot of interactions with, you know, the front office and with the ownership group. I don't have a lot of interactions with Terry, you know, I can probably say 10 times, 15 times. I saw Kim all the time, all the time, whether it was on the sideline before games, whether it was in the offices, whether it was at a practice. And she was always super nice, really easy to talk to, just a really genuinely kind person. And everybody who I know over there who has worked for her, for her, says the exact same thing. So obviously from just like a human standpoint, I just want to see the recovery continue to make progress. And hopefully one day we can see her again, whether it's at a game, whether it's an event, whether it's at, you know, whatever it is. And and that's got to be on her terms, but obviously we're thinking about her. Yeah. Well said. Uh, I echo the sentiment. She's always been um, uh, really accommodating and kind and treated me very well as well uh, in all of our interactions. We were at the stadium groundbreaking. It's super cool to see yeah. this happening. Uh, we're going to be out there throughout, you know, you're going to be on paternity leave, but you're going to be out uh-huh. down there, you know, soon enough. Yeah. And you're going to see it just like I am. And a lot of people are going to see it as they drive past. And then when they get in the preseason and the practice down at the stadium and then the games and this thing's going to go up pretty quickly. I remember being in Vegas when they just started building the Raiders stadium and there was some steel in the ground. I'm like, oh, that's where the stadium's going. Six months later, I see on TV like, bam, like that thing is going up quick, man. That's what's going to happen here, Matt. Yeah, it is. Let me share a couple tidbits that I found really, really interesting just from talking to people at that press conference and okay. just kind of off to the side. The height of the stadium is kind of like shocking to me. So the stadium itself will be imagine Highmark Stadium right now and imagine those massive lights that are on the outside. The new stadium will be 20 feet higher than where the lights currently are at Highmark Stadium. So most of the stadium, like you think of the stadium now, it's half underground and then you have the half of it above ground and then the really high lights. This one is just going to basically be, it's not going to be built straight up. They're still digging a big hole from what I understand. It's going to be about 35 feet or so, but I think that's not going, you know, the field level is not going to be nearly as low as it is in the current stadium. So that to me is pretty eye opening. Like when you think about seeing the stadium, you know, everybody who's been to Orchard Park knows you don't really see the stadium until you get to the intersection before the actual stadium. What is that? Right. Abbott, Abbott and Southwestern. Is that the intersection before the stadium? Yes, I believe so. Yes. yes. Right by the gas, right by the gas station there. Yeah. And then on the other side, you've got like the big tree. But until you get up to that intersection, you really don't see the stadium. You can see the lights from a little bit away. This stadium will not be that way. You will see this stadium from much farther away because it will be significantly bigger. And the timeline here is the dig is happening as we speak right now, Mm -hmm. then the foundation will be poured and then there will be structural steel that will go up sometime in the late fall, early winter, probably towards the end of the regular season. And then for anybody who is planning on getting a ticket, or if you already have tickets, everybody who buys a PSL will have to go to the new ticket center in Williamsville in the Walker Plaza. Sounds like that will open late summer, early fall. 
like late August, early September is kind of the timeline that I've been told. So that's when you can kind of start to see the wheels moving here. That's when that opens. And then you can start to pick out your seats and figure out, you know, where you're going to be sitting with your season tickets. And then we can start talking about what it looks like inside the stadium. It's going to be terrific. Um, anything rectangular, I was told they can basically do lacrosse, soccer. Don't expect World Cup soccer to come here, but definitely like higher level soccer, things like that. That'll happen. Um, the There'll be four basically a tunnel in each side instead of just one tunnel plus one behind the bills bench that the team can go in. Like you see in Kansas city or mm -hmm. new England, maybe I think Pittsburgh has that. So there's going to be a lot of changes when people go to, to, to watch the games. But of course that's in 2026, uh, the bills will change on the field as well over the next few years before that actually winds up happening. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be cool to kind of see that in the progress. And I think they're going to have from when we had Ron Rakuya on the radio, maybe a month ago, they are going to have some sort of like time-lapse um, video or at least a live look cam, I think, a, a live webcam at some point to kind of keep everybody updated to the progress, which would be cool to watch. Yeah. Also, I just really want to quickly, I'm getting 24 and 26 mixed up. Cameron Dantzler is 24 years old. He started 26 games. I think I said he was 26 and started okay. 24, but whatever. Gotcha. Um, I think the coolest thing about the stadium, and you try and take yourself out of it as much as you can when you're covering events, that is a big news story. Like, this is a big news story. This is different than yeah. just being a sports story. There's a lot of public money involved here. Like, there's a lot of, like, political connections to the stadium. So you kind of have to, like, take a step back, and you don't want to go too overboard on anything. But that whole time, I kept thinking, like, Ellie, my daughter, she's three months old. Like she will watch games at the stadium. Like yeah. I grew up going to games at Highmark Stadium because my parents, you know, we were very fortunate. They were able to bring me to games every, you know, every year we would go to a game, maybe a preseason game mixed in. I was always like my favorite day of the year. And the whole time we're sitting there talking about how there's an entire generation that hasn't even been born yet who will be going to the games at the stadium. Well, Ellie has been born, but I'm like, wow. Like, and she's in the sweet spot where I think I might be able to get her to a game at Highmark and then get her to a game at the new stadium. Right. Like she won't remember any of it. No, but, but that's I, all right. You're right. Like you could bring a three-year-old to a Bills game, right? Yeah. If you do it right, maybe you have to sit in a suite. I mean, but you know, it's going to be tough in the, it, I, I think, I mean, but we, we took Max to Fenway when he was a stroller to standing room only to see the Yankees play. Right. I mean, like you could do that. But yeah, I think you, you're probably right. I think kids, at least to a preseason game, you could do something like that. It might be a yes. little rougher at a uh, regular season game. And for me, it's the same thing. And I said this, and I always get a little emotional when I talk about it. My whole life growing up was the Bills are going to leave someday. The Bills are going to leave. Ralph Wilson's going to get older. The team's going to get sold. The stadium isn't is outdated. The lease is up. It was all the worry. Every every year was the worry. I don't have to worry about that anymore, but more importantly, my nine-year-old son doesn't have to worry about that. He's going to be in his 30s and 40s by the time these kinds of things come up again. So he can enjoy this for three decades. So I'm just so, so happy for everyone here in Buffalo in this community that, you know, this gets to happen. So, all right. Um, you got anything else on that? Because I want to wrap it up here before we head out. I have one thing that isn't about the stadium. Uh, it's about a popular football video game, and I'm not going to say the title of the game. Okay. But the cover of the popular football video game will very likely be a very popular Bills player who throws the ball really fast and really hard. You could say it all right here. Say what you I, want to say. I'm just going to leave myself the out because it hasn't officially happened yet as the time we're recording this podcast. But, you know. Can I, I say been, it? You can say I, I had been told about a month and a half ago that it was going to happen. Right. But I could never get it confirmed. From I a have not been told. Source. I have not been okay. told. I don't know this. I'm just telling you what everybody's reporting. Like you have been told. 
Jeremy yes. White tweeted it out, so I'll say it, that he was told that Josh Allen's going to be on the cover of Madden 24. Yeah, yeah, and he will be. So I, I can tell you because the story has been written and saved as a draft on WKVW.com for about a month and a half. He will be the first Bills player ever, obviously, wow. to be on the cover of Madden. Um, you know, people immediately think of the Madden curse, and I don't really subscribe to that. I actually liked Jeremy's point on it. I think I was listening to him on the radio, and he was like, you believe the team has been cursed forever. So maybe you just need another curse to kind of like reverse the course of all of this happening. Like how could they be any more cursed? 13 seconds wide, right? Music city miracle, no super bowls. Like they're already cursed. So don't worry about another fake curse. Like whatever. Who's the first person you remember on the cover or any story about it? Uh, um, for my generation, I would think most, People probably say Michael Vick. He was on. He was unstoppable as a Madden player and as a cover right. athlete. But admittedly, growing up, like I played Madden every single year, but I was much more into NHL than I yep. was into Madden. I could probably rattle off like every NHL cover and like every soundtrack from those games. I can't do that with Madden, but I think there will be a a big spike in sales locally. If Josh is on the cover, even though everything's like digital now, you know what I mean? Like you can just go on the marketplace and buy it digitally. So the cover doesn't mean as much as it maybe once did. My son plays, he loves it. We download it. He's got it on there and he plays MLB the show. He plays Madden, all that kind of stuff. He'll be super excited. Like you said, a lot of people locally for me, I wasn't a big player of it ever really growing up, but I do remember the big story of Peyton Hillis being on the cover. Yeah, Peyton I remember Hillis that. On the cover. That was kind of like the big, oh my God, Peyton Hillis is on the cover. We got to head out. One last thing. want to say congratulations to my co-host on the WGR side of things, the Extra Point Show, Joe DiBiase. He's getting married Friday. Oh, Joe is getting married. Joe. On, yeah, so any words of wisdom for Joe as he gets married? She's always right, Joe. No matter <laughs> what. She's always right. Happy wife, happy life. Does Just this look go. good on me? Yes. Yeah, just doesn't matter. Exa- no, exactly. Just she's always right, Joe. That's my only <laughs> advice. Um, I would say though, uh, Matt, keep your phone open because as Joe is gone for two weeks on his honeymoon, I'll be looking for some guests on the extra point show to help eat some minutes. So I'll be calling you, pal. Deal sounds good to me. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening today, watching today, downloading, subscribing. We'll talk to you next time. And it's always game day in Buffalo.